With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profits from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to royalties. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered foods. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Cavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. Synthetic Biology, the New Revolution As we forge our way into the future, designing and constructing biological devices and systems for marketable purposes, well, it's no longer the stuff of science fiction, but quickly becoming the norm. And even more frightening, it's rapidly being realized as the acceptable norm. So what are the real implications of what is being dubbed the new biological revolution in which agribusiness meets synthetic biology to not only define the next step in GMO, but also our own evolution as a species? From the dawn of the biotechnology age with the successful insertion of foreign genes into healthy plant and animal tissue some 20 years ago, genetic engineers have gone about implementing this technology into agriculture and food supplies around the world. And this has led to a host of environmental, ecological, and human health problems that have profoundly impacted all life on the planet to a degree we are only just beginning to realize. But these genetically modified organisms, or GMOs, are only part of the picture, or should we say the very first steps down the biotech rabbit hole. There is something known as synthetic biology, which basically focuses on studying and engineering new forms of biology for various applications. That's right, not just modifying a biological system as we see in GMOs, but creating a new one altogether. What distinguishes synthetic biology from GMOs is rather than altering an existing strand of DNA by splicing in existing genes from another species, synthetic biology designs and assembles DNA sequences from scratch in a computer simulator and then it creates a physical copy of the DNA based on the digital model. It's a bit mind-blowing. Sounds a bit like I'm quoting from a science fiction film, but I'm not. This synthetic genetic material is then placed inside living cells or tissues to replicate and bring about whatever function the biotech engineer is shooting for. So what we're talking about here, and I really want you to understand this, synthetic biology 
is all about improving on or completely substituting existing natural systems because they're somehow viewed as flawed. Uh, for example, regenerating tissues and organs in the human body or creating a brand new type of fruit, vegetable, or animal. And why stop there? Man considers nature to be imperfect. There are diseases, inefficiencies, shortages, and other limitations. So, therefore, with this logic, these need to be eradicated, improved upon, and perfected. So it's the ultimate aim of the synthetic biologist to weed out imperfections and replace them with engineered improvements, all of which may be inspired by, but do not exist in nature. Think about that for just a moment. They do not exist in nature. By forcefully applying engineering standards to biological systems, synthetic biology has opened the door to new and accelerated modes of impacting human life in ways we can't yet even conceive. How long has this idea been around? Well, in 1974, the Polish geneticist Zabolski used the term synthetic biology when he wrote the following, quote, Up to now, we are working on the descriptive phase of molecular biology, but the real challenge will start when we enter the synthetic phase of research in our field. We will then devise new control elements and add these new modules to the existing genomes or build up whole new genomes. This would be a field with an unlimited expansion potential and hardly any limitations to building synthetic organisms like a new and better mouse. I am not concerned that we will run out of exciting and novel ideas in synthetic biology. End quote. I'm not sure about what you may feel about that, but my question is, do we really need a new and better mouse? And keep in mind, this statement was made some 40 years ago. A few years after this, now in 1978, the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine was awarded to Arbor Nathans and Smith for the discovery of restriction enzymes, which allowed the ability to cut and splice DNA precisely at desired locations. And this is what really started it all, turning speculation into reality. When the power of splicing DNA was realized by industry, they began modifying bacteria and plants, GMOs, uh, for commercial purposes. As the refinement of this process continued, concentration shifted to mapping out the entire genetic makeup, genomes, of several species of bacteria, plants, and animals in order to discover new GMO possibilities. Teams of scientists began sequencing complete genomes in the 1990s and finally accomplished mapping the entire human genome in 2003. By sequencing a genome, scientists could better understand biological and physiological functions and eventually copy and reproduce them synthetically in the laboratory. So though synthetic biology has been in the minds and vernacular of scientists for years, it hadn't become a true reality until just a handful of years ago. In fact, in May of this year, 2014, scientists officially created for the first time a functional synthetic DNA. They created a synthetic DNA. Now, to understand the significance of this, consider that normal DNA, natural DNA, is made up of just two base pairs, A pairs with T and G pairs with C, like rungs on a ladder repeating in different sequences that can encode for a maximum of 20 amino acids. Now, a group of American scientists reported that they have created a new third synthetic base pair 
that successfully replicates in a normal DNA. So in addition to the natural A and T and G and C rungs on a normal DNA, there is now an XY ring. This drastically changes things because where only 20 amino acids are possible with normal, natural DNA, which already codes for all life on this planet, an artificial DNA can theoretically produce 172 amino acid possibilities, expanding the genetic code considerably. The concept of what this might mean certainly is intriguing, but it is also altogether terrifying, and we have to raise the question of evolutionary responsibility, considering the incredible variety of life existing on Earth already due to natural DNA, natural evolution, synthetic DNA will undoubtedly be the platform for a slew of new, otherworldly life forms, from bacterial microbes, to viruses, to plants, to animals, to humanoids. Now, although some of these are still years in the future, it may not be as far away as we think. And again, I know this all sounds like it's lifted from a science fiction film, but it's not. Synthetic biology is here. It's real. It's happening right now. And the pathways to where this will take us into the future are in construction. Now, presently, the artificial DNA does not encode for anything, but scientists are already speculating on industrial, agricultural, and pharmaceutical applications. They say that synthetic biology is truly revolutionary, akin to the computer revolution, and that it will make incredible things possible, such as creating organisms to kill cancer, eradicate disease, prevent old age, and even alter the human body to survive extended space travel and exotic conditions on other planets. But as fantastic as these things sound, it is also said that this technology is outpacing our own social development at a rate never before seen. In other words, by combining this new powerful technology with current ideologies and profit-driven industrial paradigms already deeply rooted in our society, it will inevitably spur changes to our world that will be damaging and that cannot be undone. And we need to think about that. Now, along the same lines as synthetic DNA is something called artificial gene synthesis, which is the creation of new genes from scratch using the basic components of DNA. Here again, the thing setting this technology apart from what biotech companies are now doing with GMOs is that a pre-existing DNA sequence does not have to be used. So instead of shuffling genes from different species as they do in current GMO commercial applications, complete synthetic double-stranded DNA molecules can be built from the ground up with no apparent limit on base pair sequence or size. This is not theoretical speculation anymore. Artificial genes have already been created and inserted into functional bacterial chromosomes containing approximately one million base pairs. Synthetic genes are like the software running inside a cell that creates its own hardware by way of self-replication. This is analogous to a computer software constructing and building the physical framework in which it resides and then going on to construct other computers, with the initial architect of the system becoming unnecessary. In a practical sense, self-replication of synthetic genes is a good thing because it is automated and alleviates the need to manually perform tedious steps in a process. 
a wonderful, inexpensive benefit for those interested in industrial applications where mass quantities of a product are desired. However, it can also theoretically result in the mass replication of lethal organisms that continue to rebuild themselves without assistance. That's the flip side of the coin. It is becoming common for scientists to recreate dangerous virus and bacterial strains for the purpose of studying their function and how they evolve in order to learn how to combat them in the event of a pandemic. Scientists have already deliberately recreated the deadly H5N1 bird flu virus, and they've modified it to have the ability to be contagious between individuals, a trait, please note, that it does not yet naturally have. They did this to better study and develop a preemptive remedy in case the real bird flu mutates into a contagious form. But there is still the risk that the dangerous strain could accidentally be released or fall into the wrong hands. And if such a thing were to occur, we could have a global pandemic crisis. What makes scenarios like this especially dangerous is the fact that synthetic genetic information can be digitized, accessed, and transmitted as a computer file. Wrap your head around that one. Because DNA sequencing has become more and more efficient and cost-effective, huge numbers of genomes from insects and plants to humans have been mapped. There are currently over 40 million genes that have been discovered and digitally stored in databases, with speculation that within a decade the number will increase to around 200 million. This makes it possible for a biotech engineer to simply select sections of genetic code from these databases and have them emailed to their home or lab. Once the digital DNA sections are downloaded to a computer, the engineer can begin designing new genes by piecing the sections together in a computer simulator. They can digitally reproduce or build any gene they like. Once they have a completed computer design of the gene sequence they're interested in, they can physically regenerate it in a 3D printer machine that uses sugar and other materials in much the same way a document is printed on paper with an inkjet printer. I know it sounds like I must be making this up, but I'm not. This is happening. In goes digital DNA information, and out comes actual DNA that can be inserted into a living organism to reproduce and perform a desired function. I want you to listen to this clip. This is Craig Venter, a world-leading microbiologist credited with building the first-ever synthetic cell. I want you to hear him talking about DNA being sent over the Internet. Have a listen. The implications for this is we will be able to download biology from the Internet. At SGI and the Venture Institute, we can do this now. So we can download insulin from the Internet, um, and we can download simple viruses like Vix-174 and infect E. coli and kill it. Then we, what we did with the first synthetic cell is we downloaded the entire code and made uh, a 1.1 million letter uh, genome that led to a self-replicating cell. So all of life as we know it can be sent as digital code through the internet or as an electromagnetic wave. Engineers have already compiled an open source catalog of over 5,000 standardized sections of DNA, commercially known as biobricks. The intent is to make these components accessible to anyone, even non-research personnel, 
so that they can then make their own gene designs. There is even an annual student competition that uses the BioBricks database to design new biological systems. This all sounds great on the surface, I suppose, bringing engineering standards to microbiology and encouraging students or anyone else to use the database and even contribute to it. But what is the overall effect here? What message is this sending? What are the ramifications? Have we finally arrived to the place where we don't even question the ethical ramifications of what is going on? It appears younger generations are now being groomed to bypass or ignore the gravity of what bioscience and genetic engineering are doing and instead are encouraged to play with pre-designed sections of DNA and contribute their own designs as well as if it were some form of video game. It is a running joke in research circles that the vast majority of synthetic biologists are under the age of 30. Is this the beginning of a new way of thinking, where it is implicitly understood that playing with the genetic code is just a casual thing to do? One might argue that cloning and synthetic biology have been going on already, so why not standardize it and encourage people to explore the possibilities to create new life-saving products that target disease and human illness? In fact, this is the main justification in favor of synthetic biology, as it has been with GMOs. Engineering to make things better, healthier, and more efficient. If you oppose it, you are labeled anti-technology or anti-science. But this misses the bigger point, which is, with all we know about new technologies, we are still clueless about the long-term implications and overall detrimental effects they may cause. In short, what appears beneficial now may bring magnitudes of hazard and challenges later on. This concept is evident in biotechnology more than any other scientific field because it deals with life and life processes at its core and therefore has the greatest potential to drastically affect life as we know it. It's a question of reward and risk, and I really wonder what the answer to that question will be for our future generations if we continue down this path. To assume that synthetic biology technology will only result in or be used for good is simply naive. And to desensitize the younger generations to the idea that playing with the building blocks of life is not okay but rather a fun puzzle takes away the seriousness of the issue to begin with. It's really, really scary. You know, it's surprising enough to have databases full of digital synthetic gene parts and computer simulators designed to manipulate these parts. But to have it in an open source format where anybody with a moderate amount of knowledge can design and actually create operational genes to be implemented into living systems, that's terrifying. Or the very real possibility of having pandemic viruses emailed to terrorist groups, that's petrifying. This could potentially be a huge threat to public safety, national security. We should know by now that technology in the wrong hands can produce devastating results. We need look no further than the countless computer viruses designed by people who don't care about the damage they may cause others. When people have access to programmable biology and it becomes inexpensive enough to afford a gene printer, what can we possibly expect? Obviously, we should be concerned about the release of hazardous organisms that could impact human populations. 
the Black Death Plague in the 1300s wiped out a staggering two-thirds of Europe's population, some 75 million people. This awful, horrific virus, or something even worse, could theoretically be designed, engineered, and unleashed. When we consider there is more information available on the Internet about creating biological weapons than there is about creating nuclear bombs, and the fact that these viruses can be digitized and sent as an email, well, it really puts things into perspective. And it's something we need to think about, think about hard, and understand. I'd like you to listen to this clip from Lori Garrett, Senior Fellow of the Council on Foreign Relations for Global Health where she mentions the very real threats associated with this technology. Have a listen. And now Craig Ventner, who's probably the most famous biotechnologist in the whole world, proposed, let's merge these two giant revolutions, synthetic biology and 3D printing. So he goes out all over the world looking for obscure microorganisms in places like the bottom of the ocean floor and, you know, very rare places and getting the genetic sequences of all these organisms. And he says, look, why can't you put in a 3D printer the elements of genetic material? Into a 3D printer, now your 3D printer marries your genetic sequencer to create the true revolution. So what you're talking about is you rapid sequence an organism or create a sequence, send it to a computer thousands of miles away, uh, that computer is attached to a 3D printer, and it makes viruses and bacteria and all sorts of microorganisms. And they can be things that never previously existed on Earth before. Well, think about this from the point of view of national security. What if that computer is in the hands of Al-Qaeda or some other group, and what they're printing out is a very deadly microorganism that can cause an epidemic, an outbreak, even a pandemic. We certainly didn't imagine a world where the average citizen could make biological organisms. How do we go about regulating the flow and movement and transport of things that can be sent literally by email? Because we're not talking organisms, we're talking sequences. Now on the flip side, there is the concern that synthetic organisms intended for good could mutate unexpectedly and in ways that cannot be anticipated. This becomes especially relevant in synthetic biology applications as genes and organisms are mostly, if not entirely, man-made. Natural gene function is highly complex and difficult to predict, whereas man-made genes are even less studied and could present unique hazards. Craig Venter, from the first sound clip I played a bit earlier in the show, founded a company called Synthetic Genomics, Inc., which is currently developing synthetic bioproducts and processes for commercial application into a variety of industries, including uh, biofuels, agriculture, renewable energy, pharmaceuticals, biomedical, and more. Just last year, biotech giant Monsanto acquired a branch company of Synthetic Genomics, Inc., that specializes in synthetic microorganisms aimed specifically at increasing agricultural productivity. I mean, this is right up Monsanto Valley. You had to know their name would come up here somewhere, didn't you? So what could this mean for the future of agricultural biotechnology? It is speculated that Monsanto will be developing new synthetic-based microbial pesticides for crops to fight weeds, insects, and viruses. But 
Releasing these microbes into the wild and onto our food crops could have devastating results. As with GMOs, the impacts of synthetic technology on the environment are unknown because there have been no risk assessments performed. Just as superweeds have evolved to be resistant to herbicides like Roundup, synthetic microbes will certainly evolve and adapt to the environment where they may outcompete native beneficial organisms for space and sustenance. This could effectively damage entire ecosystems or spawn unexpected variations of deadly microbes. The unfortunate reality is there is no way to predict the extent of damage until the damage has already been done. But of course by then it would be too late. Because synthetic biology is virtually unregulated, it is the perfect alternative to GMOs and can be produced much more conveniently and at a lesser cost. These are extremely favorable conditions for agribusinesses. So while the GMO debate rages on, Monsanto and other biotech giants are quietly moving to new high-tech forms of doing the same thing they are already doing, but instead using synthetic biology to accomplish them. In such a relatively short time, it seems that the GMO debate is becoming more obsolete by the month. It is astounding that synthetic biology is even less researched than GMOs regarding safe application in consumable products. There are campaigns in place now to disguise the use of synthetic biology in agriculture by calling it a sustainable process and going as far as to label it a natural ingredient in food items. Currently, there are plans to release a consumable synthetic product that mimics vanillin, which is the active flavor compound found in natural vanilla. This is produced by inserting synthetically coded DNA, digitally generated by a computer, into living yeast cells, which then ferment to biosynthesize vanillin. This product is expected to hit the market very soon and potentially turn up in cake frosting, ice cream, baked goods, and other food items that contain vanilla flavoring. But it doesn't stop there. Synthetic bioproducts are expected to begin springing up everywhere in the foods we eat, simply because the design of synthetic genes can be done very easily and conveniently and can deliver precise outcomes to products that normally would take years to develop through typical genetic engineering methods. So not only do we as consumers need to be concerned about GMOs, we now have a whole new level of concern with synthetic bioproducts that may ultimately replace the fundamentals of GMO and may even prove to be worse, as if we didn't have enough to worry about in the foods we eat already. There are also synthetic biological circuits being fabricated to have certain effects on cells that completely change the way they operate. For example, cells could be programmed to change color in the presence of toxic surroundings, indicating when food has gone bad or acting as a canary in a coal mine to signal dangerous environments that would otherwise never be detected, such as material changing color in the presence of uh, the odorless and lethal gas carbon monoxide. But the same biological circuits that would alert us to dangerous gases may also be the ones responsible for starting production of carcinogens or other unexpected harmful side effects that might not be immediately discovered. Another huge immediate application for synthetic biotechnology is the global energy sector. Since there is so much focus in producing new forms of biofuel to meet the energy demands of modern society, 
Synthetic biologists are now trying to develop microorganisms that produce oil chemically similar or identical to oils currently used in today's transportation and energy infrastructure. The idea is to have these microbes become living chemical factories that can be engineered to continually pump out almost any type of fuel or industrial chemical in place. This is different from the more expensive current process of using GMO algae that is harvested, dried, and pressed to release oils. In the biofuel energy sector, there are a growing number of biotech companies looking to engineer industrial-scale organisms that are specially designed and adapted to produce biofuels in this living factory type of way. However, some speculate this could potentially have the same effect as a major oil spill. If synthetic microbes begin producing oils, would there be a fail-safe in place that if something goes wrong, they will stop producing the oil they are programmed to generate? We simply cannot predict all the outcomes to these bio-industrial processes. Incredibly, despite the looming risks associated with the synthetic biology revolution, there are still no regulatory institutions or processes in place to oversee the unfolding of this new science. If a biotech accident were to occur on a global scale, there are no official bodies in place to respond. Here again is Lori Garrett in a short clip on this. Have a listen. Who responds if an outbreak occurs? Is it the United States government, a U.S. government agency? Is it some newly created institution of some kind? We don't have an answer right now. We don't have such an institution in operation that's internationally agreed to. Considering the profound and yet unknown changes that are occurring on our planet due to synthetic biology, there has been a lack of appropriate oversight and seemingly little regard for the ethical questions raised concerning these issues. It is growing so rapidly and showing so much promise for utility, it has already begun to define its own industry, being coined syndustry. But instead of using caution and being prudent moving forward in this relatively new field, the United States government is praising synthetic biology and, not surprisingly, emphasizing the need to rush more research and development in the field, going as far as to suggest that it is the solution to the deepening agricultural challenges we are now facing. For years now, the push for utilizing sustainable and renewable resources has been referred to as the Evergreen Revolution and is recognized internationally as promoting global change in the way governments use and share these resources. Governments are now embracing syndustry as the road to the future because it gives the ability to control and produce greater quantities of green, sustainable resources at less expense. But along with fulfilling all the criteria for paving the way to a more streamlined future, the new biotech revolution also has the greatest potential to be exploited by corporate powers and they are fast at work doing just that right now. Shouldn't governments be practicing precaution to protect agriculture, the environment, our human health? And shouldn't our federal agencies be refusing to make decisions on this technology until all risks have been evaluated in the public's best interest rather than in the interests of profit-driven biotechnology companies? And where will the path go from here? How will it affect human evolution as we inevitably begin to tamper with our own genome, not years in the future, but right now. 
as new generations of bioengineers steer the evolution of humanity, whatever will we become? I'd like you to listen to one last clip from Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and senior fellow on the Council for Global Human Health, Lori Garrett. Have a listen. So now, all of a sudden, scientists are creating their own rules of the game of evolution and directing the movement of evolution, and this is happening at an astounding pace. If you haven't heard about it, ask your teenager, because synthetic biology and the whole synthetic biology revolution is catching fire among young people. Now evolution is 3D print. 3D print your evolution. 3D print your evolution. I think that clip pretty much sums it up. And with that, I've run out of time in this broadcast. And just a programming note, the listener's voice will return in future broadcasts. So if you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would absolutely love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, fill in the form and just send me along your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice, it really does matter, and it will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. I also want to tell you about the Facebook page for the series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I would love for you to come and give a like and join in at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh Mad Science Genetic Crossroad and on Twitter at GMO Mad Science. And I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, September 30th, we'll continue our conversation with an episode named GMO Crossroads, The Point of No Return. We'll be celebrating the airing of our 25th broadcast episode, and we'll examine some of the highlights in previous shows and developments that have happened since. A discussion about everything from GMO labeling to the global presence of agribusiness to the frightening innovations under design in the biotech industry that may have some serious impacts on consumers before another year passes us by. We have seen some good progress in consumer awareness and global action for change over the course of our previous broadcast since first airing in January 2013. But how much further do we have to go? Have we reached the point of no return? With planetary impact, climate change, and consumer health all in the balance, find out how the link to GMO is affecting us all. I hope you'll join me for next week's broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed. With that, I've run out of time in this broadcast. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.